Wes Albers started writing science fiction stories while working the graveyard shift as a mall security guard to pay his way through college. Now, after more than 20 years with the San Diego Police Department, he's drawn on his extensive field experience to write his debut novel, Black and White, about a street cop in San Diego's Mid-City Division. As if balancing his law enforcement and writing careers wasn't enough, West turned a gig working at the Southern California Writers' Conference in exchange for free admission into a stint as the conference's director, a job he's held for over 10 years. We'll talk to Wes about what a conference can provide for writers, starting writing while in the midst of another career, and the horrors of Ludafisk, as Wes Albers joins us on the Scripps and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripps and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Krista Bean, and today we're welcoming to the show novelist and Southern California Writers Conference Director Wes Albers. Thank you for joining us today, Wes. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So, first off, let's just talk about your debut novel, Black and White. And it's a story based on your, um, uh, well, at least you, you draw from a lot of your personal experiences with uh, San Diego law enforcement. Let's talk about that. Well, yeah, I really kind of what I set out to do was try to take a story, and, and it's fiction. You know, everybody keeps wanting to hear me say, uh, uh, it's a real story. I just changed the names. Um <laughs> But, you know, really what I wanted to do is I wanted to take something that would, would put someone in the eyes of a street cop, kind of one of these stories of where he always asks me, you know, God, I wish I says, you know, I wish I could see what you've seen. And so I took this really as an opportunity for for a reader to look at police work through my eyes or through a, through a street cop's eyes mm-hmm. uh, at the very least. And, um, and I did that with the character. I put him first person. So you really only know what the street cop knows. Mm-hmm. And and as the story goes, um, you're only exposed to bits and pieces. And it, it unravels as uh, as the story unravels, just the way that the, um, the street cop would see it. And I, I, it seems like it's something like, you know, being a street cop, it's one of those things where somebody who's not familiar with the world, I mean, they could go on ride-alongs and they could, you know, interview people and, you know, but it would just never have quite the same flavor as coming from somebody who has lived in that world for, you know, two decades. Well, and that's, that's really where, um, you know, I had a lot of encouragement from people. Um, I, I tend to like fantasy and sci-fi as a writer, mm-hmm. um, but I had a lot of people going, you know, You've got the credibility in the writing world. You've got the credibility in the law enforcement world. Why would you not combine the two? And that and that really made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it helped that that I'd been out there, that I'd worked the funny hours and done, um, you know, gone to some of the horrific scenes or or done some of the you know the high value action kind of fun stuff. Everybody wishes that they. Uh, they could do, but doesn't really want to subject themselves to. Mm-hmm. And it it seems like there's a lot of of uh, you know truth or truth is stranger than fiction type things that if you were creating a story like this from scratch, you know you wouldn't even imagine some of the things that went on that you probably saw on you know a pretty frequent basis. Yeah, the first thing you learn on the streets is that um, you know books go out the window. Um, Common common sense never really goes out the window, mm-hmm. but what you think should be never is. Mm-hmm. And and the moment you start thinking that you've seen it all, done it all, you know it all, or that you can read somebody and go, oh, this is absolutely what's going on, that's the moment you're about to get slapped up in the side of the head mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, it, it isn't what you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, a few years ago, you went through, uh, you had two different agents and um, neither one of those worked out. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Because I think a lot of people, um, when they, you know, a writer will land an agent and think, all right, I'm on my way to having a bestseller, um, and not really thinking that it might not be the ideal relationship. Could you talk a little, little bit about that? Well, yeah, it's... You know, and, and I see this through the through the conference. You know, a lot of times people are so anxious to get an agent mm-hmm. uh, that the moment somebody uh, 
gives them just a, a glimmer of interest, uh, much less uh, asks to represent them. They think it's done. Oh my God, I've got an agent. They're going to, mm-hmm. you know, anything that's wrong with my story, they'll make sure it gets fixed and an editor will come along and, and help. And, and I just have to sit back and rake in the truckloads of money that are about to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but <laughs> you know, have, yeah, have, having an agent, I mean, that's, it's a relationship. And, um, you really need to kind of be on the same page and, and be wanting to go the same places. And and for me, the first agent I had uh, really was kind of around when I started writing, mm-hmm. and that agent was interested really from the onset. Well, the first, probably first three chapters that I'd written mm-hmm. that were just rough drafts where, you know, the response from this agent was, if you can do the rest of the book like this, I will absolutely represent you, um, which was great because that took a lot of pressure off me mm-hmm. uh, other than to maintain, you know, the remaining chapters in at least as good a quality as the first three. But when it got to where submissions were going out mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, and the approach for how this agent looked for a publisher versus what I thought they should do, I really didn't think it was the right fit after a time. I didn't I didn't think that there was uh, as much strategy or, or active kind of efforts um, on the part of the agent, and it just mm-hmm. didn't seem to be a right fit. Uh-huh. So we kind of separated. Okay. Um, and, and that was my choice. Um, the second agent... Uh, she approached me the very next conference and had been watching um, me, but knew that I was represented. And the moment I saw her, she said, you know, tell me what's going on with your book. Where are things at? Mm-hmm. And and so, um, you know, I said, well, right now I'm not represented. The book's not doing anything. And mm-hmm. her thought was, God, right away, we need to sit down. I want to see your stuff. Oh, wow. And so... We talked over the course of the conference, but really more about conference and life and, and a little bit about the book, but, but nothing really, because I knew that she was going to take the manuscript and look. Mm-hmm. And that Monday, she left the conference with the manuscript, and she says, you know, just so you know, I've been gone from New York for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. so it could be two or three weeks before I even get started on this. Um, and so, you know, don't sweat it you don't hear from me right away mm-hmm. and having been around and knowing that you know two or three weeks even for an agent sometimes to have them call you back can be lightning fast so right um you know i looked at that and i thought well two three weeks yeah i can you know it's a whole lot better than two or three months right. so knock, <laughs> you know <laughs> knock yourself out right um, call, call me when it's convenient if it's right. under a month i love you yeah. you know um that was Monday, I think Wednesday, uh, she called and said, you know, I'm halfway through the book. we got a deal. I'm going to send a contract. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, she was a super advocate of the book. Mm-hmm. And we made some, she made some recommendations. I liked some of them. I uh, did a rewrite. Um, and uh, then we sent the book out. She sent the book out. I, I want to say it was... August of 2009, mm-hmm. and that was right right within a week or two of really everything in publishing kind of collapsing. Oh yeah, and and all the big houses down in or in you know in New York and such started rolling up their sidewalks, and mm-hmm. you know we're not taking new material. Um, it just it was a bad time to mm-hmm. be trying to sell a book. And she came back from uh, from a vacation and, you know, did what she could, but really kind of within a few weeks uh, called me up one day and says, you know, um, I'm going to leave agenting. Oh, and, um, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, oh, it, it, even for someone like me who knows many agents, talks to many agents, can call people up and, and, and oftentimes get someone 
you know, to listen to me just because I know them and already have a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's still not so simple. Yeah. As, um, oh, here, you're an agent, you know people, and they'll make, they'll make it happen. There has to be a relationship. There has to be somebody. This person needs to be um, passionate about your book because they've got to get it into the hands of of an editor, usually a screener, mm-hmm. um, who will also be passionate about your book within their own um, publishing house. Right. And so people have to, people have to pick up the flag and carry it for you. Mm-hmm. And that's why having an agent and having that right kind of fit, at least for me, is important because you're not you're not relying necessarily on somebody who's the super producer. You're relying on somebody that um, believes in you. And, you know, if I landed a plane in Hudson, it might not be so important to have an agent that wants to carry the flag for me Mm -hmm. uh, because somebody's going to buy my book deal. Well, and it seems like it needs to be somebody that's willing to see it all the way through because your your second agent was she was ready to pounce just, you know, she was already had, had her eye on you before you, you know, she even knew you were available, which is amazing. I mean, most people are, you know, chasing after agents with, you know, query letters and, you know, begging them to read something. And she actually approached you, which seems like a sort of a fairy tale situation, but then, you know, cause she wasn't willing to, or, you know, wasn't able to see it all the way through. It ended up being a, 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 unsuccessful relationship, I guess. Well, and I think that's ultimately why I went with Zova. Mm-hmm. Um, because in, in a way, um, they came at me, mm-hmm. uh, and then they wanted to carry the flag and see it through. And, um, and I went with them unrepresented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a, you know, we had, um, they had just signed another author who came out of our conference and the publisher had come up to me and said, Hey, we're hearing great things about this Jessica Terrian mm. and, um, different last name at the time. Um, <laughs> it was before she got married, but, uh, but they said, we really need to meet her. Can you make that happen? So I hooked them up and, um, and she got a deal and, and they were wonderfully excited. Wow. And we had had Zova books out before, uh, they they signed Mike Sirota, who was one of our longtime uh, conference staff members. Who I think Mike's got twenty eight books under his belt. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and he as an editor, um, uh, he's helped you know people like Michelle Scott, who now has a whole bevy of books and and has published through Zelda as well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so. They already had uh, some people. So as we, as we were sitting there talking, um, you know, I asked him, he says, you know, as director, I see most everything that comes through here, at least because somebody talks to me about it or we're handing out manuscripts or whatever. I'm the director, so, I, you know, if I'm doing my job, I have a thumb on most of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So what are you guys as a publisher looking for um, for new material because I, I'll do what I can to help hook you up with the right kind of uh, authors so that you're not screening stuff that you're never going to handle. Mm-hmm. And so we talked for a little bit, and then finally the publisher says, and what I'd really like is a character-based police drama. Oh, with God. Authentic- yeah, with some authenticity. Um, he goes, I don't want CSI. I want, I want the real thing. Uh, and <laughs> like, then, I know and where you they, can find something like that. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly that. And, and the editor in chief goes, you know, Wes, if you wrote something, we would absolutely look at it. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and so I just said, well, you know, it's funny you'd say that because, <laughs> uh, it didn't come here to pitch. Um, but I have just that property sitting on my bookshelf at home. Wow. Um, and so, I sent that to them, and you know, within the week, we had a deal. Very serendipitous. Um, it, it really is. And, you know, I'm, in many ways, I'm, I'm so very fortunate that, um, you know, I haven't had to 
scratch and claw and fight to make contacts mm-hmm. or find representation like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that in this business um, I don't have to take ownership of the, the direction I go. You can't just ever let go right. of your property or your dreams and, and just hope somebody else will make that happen mm-hmm. in the manner you see it going. Um, and, and then you can't, you know, you can't anticipate how, uh, how these things, you know, who knew that the industry was going to change two right. weeks after I submit um, to a dozen New York publishing houses, you know? Right. You can't count on that. Right. And so you just have to kind of look at it and go, do I believe in this? Do I believe in myself? Am I in this for the long haul? Or am I hoping for that dream break that is going to make everything happen at once? And, and you it, know, unless you're a really rare person with a really rare property, that probably won't happen. And it seems like keeping your, you know, all of your options open is a smart thing to do instead of just being kind of tunnel vision on, okay, this agent didn't work. I need to get another agent. That agent didn't work. I need to get another agent. That agent didn't work. You know, exploring, you know, small publishing and, and just working through your contacts and trying to, to um find out all the different avenues that are out there that, you know, whatever's meant to happen is meant to happen. And if, you know, if you're not meant to go through an agent, then you're not meant to go through an agent. And there's plenty of other options for, for people like that. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, with the caveat of you need to take the time. If you're, if you're going to be open to alternatives, uh, you need to know the, the business uh, and of publishing. Right, and, of course. And you need to know what a small publisher or a mid-sized publisher will do for you versus a large publisher. Um, yeah, that, that and, was actually one of my questions. If you could, yeah, explain that a little bit. Well, for instance, uh, one of the things for me, and Zelda's a pretty much mid-sized publisher with the number of people they have, the books that they're doing. Uh, and that's, that's where they're they're promoting themselves. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, what I like about them, regardless of how big they are, um, that's really relevant to me. Mm -hmm. What's relevant is that they, they care about me. They're passionate about seeing my book, uh, go somewhere. Mm-hmm. and they want to be the ones to help take it there. And, and really what they're looking at is our collective best interest. Mm-hmm. Where with a huge publisher, with one of the big six or some kind of anchor um, publishing house, they might give me an advance. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not. Uh, if I don't earn out my advance, I'm done with them, and, mm-hmm. and I'm done with them for good. Uh-huh. Uh, or they might not give me an advance, and they might not promote me, and they might just simply say, "See what you can do with it." Mm-hmm. And and if you you know if you sell a million books, cool, you know we're glad. We'll we'll look at the next book. Well, mm-hmm. how is that any different than a smaller publisher? Um, and so I would really rather have a team of people around me um, who are passionate mm-hmm. than a big business that's behind me, but um, but I'm one of countless different faces that they're just hoping I'll take off. And, and depending on how well I do, they'll determine how much to support me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are, um, those are some of the things that I, you have to balance out. Now, if a big house were to come along early on before I had signed a deal and said, yeah, we're going to give you an advance, we're going to give you a marketing budget and uh, and a team of people going out and pushing your book and we're going to work with the bookstores to make sure it's right on the front shelf. Well, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen um, with the exception of rare, um, really kind of um, blockbuster kind of, kind of books that already have that platform. Uh-huh. The flip side of all this is the self-publishing, uh, which for somebody that just wants to see a book out for 
family members or for something might be an okay route, but what what oftentimes happens is I see people who don't want to learn the business end. Mm-hmm. They don't want to commit to the the editing that it takes to get a book to the point where um, where it really should be. Mm-hmm. And so they go to a conference, they encounter an, an editor, an agent, um, an author who says your book's not ready. And and they give them reasons why, and the person doesn't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. So they figure, no, my idea is so good it will sell, and I think it's ready. And they go and they self-publish. They get that ISBN number, and now they put out a book that mm-hmm. doesn't sell, mm-hmm. and it's it's fraught with um, with issues um, that are that are all stuff that a professional editor uh, would have caught or that mm-hmm. another writer would have said, this is why it's not working, but they didn't want to do that. So they self-publish a book that is now dead on the vine mm-hmm. because no publisher is going to take your poorly published book mm-hmm. um, and and take it and run with it down the road. So you really kind of kill that idea. Yeah. Um, and, and those are the things that people need to know. They really need to know the business end. And uh, as they're doing this, am I a big publishing house kind of deal or am I a independent publisher deal or am I a self-published deal? And what do I need to do to make it, myself really good there? Well, and it's also important when you're, when you're um, going through or, or, you know, considering going through um, smaller publishers, do your research on those publishers, because a lot of them are completely legitimate. I mean, obviously, Zova is, you know, they've got a lot of great stuff out, and um, and but a lot of them aren't. You know, they're 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 um, shady, <laughs> or they're you know they they won't you know come through with what they promise. So it's important to um, know what you're getting into before before signing with with somebody that you're not sure about. You really kind of touched on one of the, I think one of the. I think authors right now have uh, an opportunity for more voice than ever in the history of time. Mm-hmm. You've got something like this podcast. You have the Internet. Uh, there are all kinds of different venues that you can communicate as a writer, mm-hmm. uh, more so than, than ever before. Um, but on the other hand, there are more sharks and shysters <laughs> out there, yeah. uh, I think, than ever before. And and I see people so often not doing that. It's kind of like we're um, with the agent. People are so, so thrilled to have someone who says they're an agent. What is the qualification to become an agent? Mm. You know, I'm an agent. Okay. Right. All right. <laughs> and suddenly people are, are groveling at your feet. Uh-huh. Um, and so there really, there really is nothing. Well, what's your qualification to be an editor or a publisher? And and where are you publishing? How are you doing it? What's your success? And and people are just so thrilled to have someone who says they are this or that mm-hmm. uh, that they just go in with blinders and they don't do. And you see people getting taken advantage of. They're paying. Um, big money to mm-hmm. editors who aren't really editing their book mm-hmm. uh, or to publishers who uh, have a standard fixed format kind of website that anybody who publishes through them um, will either get or have to pay to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hey, we'll give you for, uh, you know, for nine ninety nine. uh We'll give you this marketing website that that will connect to this, 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 and this. But for fifteen hundred dollars, <laughs> we'll also give you, and you know, and you're just dumping. All of a sudden, people are dumping money into things mm-hmm. that before um, publishing houses would have never been involved with. Yeah. Or if they were, they would have their people doing it, and they'd be paying for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's always a big, a big. Um uh, red light, you know, early on is that they're asking for money up front. 
like, well, what, you know, what am I paying you for? You haven't done anything for me yet. Correct. Like, and the legitimate Correct. people will make money when you make money. They won't ask for money up front. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the old, it's, it's an expansion of reader, you know, agents charging reader fees. That's just mm-hmm. broken with, with all this different opportunity. Mm-hmm. There are now all these different um, avenues for people to try to capitalize on the dreams of writers. Mm-hmm. And it's it's definitely a, a writer beware market on that end. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now I want to um, switch gears just a little bit and talk about um, your own writing um, process. Now you are a uh, detective and you were a writer. Uh, I mean, you are a writer, but now you are now a published writer. Um, talk a little bit about the difference between um, being a having a professional career and having writing on the side, and then becoming published. You suddenly have a lot more responsibilities as far as marketing and getting your book out there. It's not just oh, I can write in my free time. Suddenly, you're having to divide your time. How do you manage that? Well, that's the eternal challenge, um, <laughs> and. You know, when I, when I wrote this book, uh, I was working, um, I don't remember, either Graveyards or our Second Watch, which was like a two to midnight. And so I really liked working nights. I still would love to work nights if, uh, if I could get away with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what I'd do then is I'd, if I got done at midnight, I'd come home and I'd write for a couple hours after work. Or I would just stay on a graveyard schedule, and on my weekends, I would just, you know, ten o'clock would roll around at night, and I would start writing, and it would be quiet, and people wouldn't bother me, mm-hmm. and there was no distractions. So for for the excuse me for the first book, it was relatively easy um, during the first part of it. The second part of it, I was. Uh, out on an injury, I had some surgery, oh. and so I just finished the book while I was, you know, confined <laughs> to a chair. Make use of that time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, who knew? Yeah. Well, if I could, you know, if I could afford to get hurt today and and recover from it in a couple <laughs> of months, I'd I'd write the next two. <laughs> but um, now, now the challenge is finding the time, and it really just comes down to. Um, making the time and and for me, you know, my life has never been uh, before law enforcement. Uh, you know, I had a couple academies and uh, and I worked full time and went to school full time, mm-hmm. and so I've always kind of had this really hectic schedule that requires me to to carve out times to get things done when I need to. Mm-hmm. And so as I start going into, I sent off a synopsis for the next two books. The second book, I think I'm on the third. Mm-hmm. I'm going into the third chapter now. And um, it's really just a matter of blocking out time and mm-hmm. then making sure that when that happens, I, I commit to getting into my office and, and doing the writing because otherwise it's just, uh, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know in, in my own experience, I've found, um, you know, you, you get like, I'll, I'll be into something and will have put enough hours into it that when I start getting distracted or I start not having time and it starts falling, you know, to the back burner, you know, I, I start thinking, I don't want to have wasted all the time that I put into this so far. And if I quit mm-hmm. or just don't finish it or anything, then then all that time is wasted and you just put in you know, a little bit more time and you, you know, can have a finished product. And then that's it. It's, um, you know, now I'm at a point, I guess really the challenge is, is that I'm at a point, it was different when I was just doing it uh, before publication because there was, you know, getting published was always out on the horizon. Mm -hmm. But now it's done. Now I've got to look at, for me, I want the next book out uh, and done so that I can um, uh, I can bring it out at the February conference next year, ah. and so that means I have to I have to be on top of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's my huge challenge for the remainder of this year mm-hmm. is carving out the time that will allow me to make that that kind of deadline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wish I could say that I was one that I got up every morning and wrote <laughs> for an hour or two before mm-hmm. I went to work, but I'm still working. So it's one of these things that, you know, I might not get out until late the night before, or I might get called out or woke up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not like my schedule is so fixed that uh, I don't have other, you know, other kinds of events or, or people throwing hand grenades into my plans. So, mm-hmm. well, that, that sort of leads into my next question. Cause, um, I was wondering what advice you have for people who want to write, but who, like you, are work in a completely different field. And they might think, oh, I don't have enough experience, or I don't have an MFA, or it's, you know, too late to get started, you know, to switch gears and get started on a writing career. What would you say to people like that? Just start. <laughs> um, I mean, I've been with the conference now, I think, 12 12 or 14 years, somewhere in there, since the first time I went. Um, and uh, before that, I mean, I've been writing longer than I've been in law enforcement. I started writing to stay awake at night mm-hmm. when I was working a graveyard shift, doing a security job <laughs> to, um, to pay for college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you stay when, when everything's locked up and secure and everything's been checked and you're not doing rounds? How do you stay up all night in the building all by yourself? So I just started writing stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, now we're 25, 30 years later, and here's the first book. But um, it's just a matter of start writing. Start doing it. Start reading material. Change happens slowly. Mm-hmm. And so for people that are thinking they want to do it, that's the best advice. Start making this. If you want to do it, you just do it. Mm-hmm. And and I think you need to recognize that, that the path um, might not always go where you thought it would. I would have never, when I started writing, I would have looked and said, you know, okay, I want to be, like, huge, like Terry Brooks or Stephen King or um, whoever, and Mm -hmm. that's my vision of what I'm going to be. I didn't know that I'd spend the next 20-some years earning a living writing police reports. (laughs) Uh, Or, you know, some of the stuff that I had that that published early on was stuff that I did for the the police department that was nonfiction that just showed up in police circles, uh. or um, or I had a gal who um, hit me up, uh, she sent out things to agencies all around the country, and uh, asking for input from officers for her masters, mm-hmm. she ended up using, I think I ended up being probably 20-25% of her thesis, Oh wow! Um, and she's, she's still got a short story that I wrote up on her website, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, I never had any idea these would be the avenues that I would start popping up as a writer mm-hmm. or that I would all of a sudden end up as the director of a writer's conference that uh, has helped uh, countless people realize their publishing dreams. And, and, and for those that it hasn't, we've been able to put a sense of community for people who just want to write, who, who enjoy the process and, and and often are kind of isolated from other writers. Mm-hmm. And so to go back to the start of this question, you know, what do you do? You start looking for people who, who also write. You start learning about the business of writing. But more than anything, you just start writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, and it, the, the good thing about that is you don't need any special classes or tools or money. I mean, it's, you know, pen and paper or computer and you've, you've got all the tools you need and you just start going. And, and you're exactly it. You don't need an MFA. Yeah. Uh, in fact, sometimes um, uh, that, can, that can get in the way. 
because you're talking about storytelling. And an, an example is one of the hurdles cops and journalists run into is that we're fact-based writers. Mm-hmm. Storytelling uh, for fiction is not fact-based mm-hmm. storytelling. So a lot of times folks can't get out of that, that fact-based mindset. Well, no, you know, it's, I'm basing it on this. This is the kernel of my, uh, of my idea that I pulled like, like law and order. They'll pull something from the headlines um, and you can see it in their shows. You go, oh, I remember that being in the paper a couple months ago. That was this case. Mm-hmm. Well, they do, they do the what if, and they just run with it. But what cops will do, or, or journalists will sometimes do, is they'll go, well, I want to do it, but these things, I've, I've got to have these things in there. And, and even if they don't fit with the story, mm. they, can't let, they can't let go. Yeah. That bit of truth. It's not about storytelling. It's about making sure it's true. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, to go back to the MFA, um, you sit in school and you have all these professors telling you this is art, this is fine literature, mm-hmm. um, this is what so-and-so did, and all of a sudden your head's all wrapped up in uh, what what art is, mm-hmm. or somebody's interpretation of art that you're, you can't even start telling a story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, all that aside, it just comes down to tell a story. We'll worry about the rest of it later. All you need to do is focus on how do I tell a compelling story mm-hmm. that's going to deliver on the early promise. Well, that's that's really good advice there. Now, I want to go um, go back to the Southern California Writers Conference. Um, I know you've, you've mentioned it a couple times already. Um, how did you become the director of that? How did you get involved with that? Well, we have a, uh, a group out here um, that just, um, we call the Writers Haven Writers. And we meet socially, you know, just every uh, once a week for, for dinner. And, and we chat, and everybody's a writer or connected to the industry in some way. And a friend invited me over and that's where I met Michael Stephen Gregory. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time that I went to the conference was as a conferee. I signed up, I paid my fee, and um, and I went. And it was the kind of deal where, as a writer, and this goes back to just write, I'd spent probably 15 years at that point writing. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in these workshops with these professional uh, writers who are the workshop leaders, who in 10 minutes are giving me information, simple things like the show, don't tell, mm-hmm. um, you know, voice, <laughs> point of view, simple concepts that that I had learned to develop naturally, but I had never really thought about from kind of a foundational level. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, here I am going, wow, you know, if you'd have told me that 15 years ago, you would have saved me 200 pages on this draft <laughs> that went nowhere. Um, so, um, and so then I was hooked. But the next time, the conference at that time was once a year in San Diego, President's Day weekend, which we still do, mm-hmm. our anchor conference. When the next year rolled around, um, I, I don't remember why, but I, I just couldn't afford to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was bummed, just bad timing, no money. And, um, and so Michael Stephen Gregory, who I'd gotten to know better, he's like, you know what, just show up, uh, I'll cover it. But if I need somebody to do this or to do that, uh, just help me out for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, fair trade work for, for a conference. Right. Yeah. And so. <laughs> you know, um, and and I didn't stay there. I drove from home. So at night, you know, and they, when things would shut down at two in the morning, um, because we're a late conference, uh, people break off into nighttime groups. And then I'd drive home at two in the morning and at seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, I'd be there again helping out. <laughs> <laughs> and But it was so fun because yeah. it was still access to writers with people who, who really enjoyed what they did. Mm-hmm. And um, 
But more than that, um, I started seeing things that, well, I should take care of this because here's this little fire going on. So I'd start taking care of something. Uh, wait, you know, we could do this. Let's rearrange and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, because managing a conference is like managing a crime scene. It's controlled chaos, mm-hmm. and it just needs somebody that can kind of keep that environment uh, from exploding or melting down. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, um, Michael was so thankful. He's like, you know, if you could keep doing that, um, I'll make this permanent spot for you. And it, it, it really was. And, and so then we sat down uh, after that. We'd been approached to do something, or he had, up in L.A. And he asked me my thoughts on that. And we started discussing what, what the conference could be, um, big picture stuff, and and ultimately what developed is we started doing as many as three conferences a year in San Diego, L.A., somewhere in the area, anywhere from Newport to Oxnard, mm-hmm. um, so more L.A.-ish, <laughs> um, you know, people who are um, L.A. purists um, were never right, were either on the east side or the west side. Or like the north. Orange County Writers Conference. Too orange, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, and then we did Palm Springs. And oh. and we we made each conference a little bit different. We started bringing in new staff, rotating staff, because obviously you start doing um, multiple conferences uh, or even the same conference year after year. You've got to stay fresh and you have to continue to bring new, relevant, uh, challenging material to people, or mm-hmm. you're, or you become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going on our 27th year, so I, I don't think we've hit that point yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and but ultimately, it you know it just led to a position where it morphed into me being the director, and and over the years, Michael and Michael and I have become. Uh, very close friends um, to where he's like a brother. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I appreciate uh, all that he does and and all the heart he puts into trying to um, provide opportunities and community for other writers or or film professionals that it's just a good time. If If it were a business, I don't know that I would be um, as excited about it <laughs> as where it's kind of a kind of a mission, and mm-hmm. um, and it's enjoyable. I get as much out of it as I try to put back in. Well, and what sort of um, if if somebody were to go to the conference for the first time, you know, what what would they what could they expect to see and experience there? Well, like you said, the the, the fundamental thing we try to get there is a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Writers, writers work in isolation, and if you're in college and you're taking that MFA program, you might be around some other writers, but you're all under the umbrella of the professor and, and their thoughts, and, and you mm-hmm. might engage in some debate and stuff, but it's it's more structured. Mm-hmm. Um, and but most of the time, when it comes to writing our manuscript, our critique group are our friends and family who are really never going to tell us what we need to hear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and if they do, um, they might not be able to articulate why. Mm-hmm. And so if, if they, you know, usually it's, oh, it's a very nice story. I like it. Um, not the typical kind of thing I typically read, but you did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the best you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone does have the guts to say, yeah, just, I didn't, didn't work for me. Um, what they usually don't have is any kind of writer ability to articulate why. Mm-hmm. And say, look, you know what? Um, your characters, they're so flat. They're, they're one dimensional. They're been there. We've seen it. Uh, or, you know, this idea is beat to death. What's, what's fresh about this idea? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they really can't start getting into 
craft and execution. Um, they just know it doesn't it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. And so here's this this writer getting really um, bad guidance or no guidance. Um, and uh, so the first thing they can expect is they come in and they're around people that we all face those same kinds of challenges. But so much so that when I was up at uh, LA Times Festival of Books with, with Jessica, um, you know, we got to talking, and, and one of the things that came up was that she said, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have to, you know, just jump out of bed and and start writing down stuff because it's coming. <laughs> and and I say, oh, I get that. You know, it's usually just right when you're about to fall asleep and all of a sudden <laughs> an idea pops in your head, and you've got to get it down because even if you remember it in the morning, you'll mm-hmm. never remember it just like that. Right, so, right. Yeah. And the next thing you know, two hours goes by. Well, you know, why is it that we're connecting on that? Because we face those same kinds of highs or uh, or the challenges of sitting in front of a computer screen for a day mm-hmm. and getting a getting a paragraph mm-hmm. that you hate. Yeah. You know? And so what I want people to be able to do when they come to the conference is be around people that have that same kind of connection and that when they're talking, those kinds of conversations um, can happen. And and the second part, a lot of writers, why do we write? We're not great public speakers or group <laughs> communicators. So we're isolationists, mm-hmm. which is why we write. Um, and, and we're introverts, which is why we write. And this puts you into a room full of introverts that are all scared. So what we try to foster is opportunities where we can pull you out of that little shell mm-hmm. in a safe environment um, where you can start getting your material out and and seeing how people are relating to it. And, and so the second part you'll get out of that, we do a lot of read and critique. We do read and critique all day long, there's always a read and critique session that's under the control of a professional working writer, agent, editor, somebody who um, who knows how to manage a critique session so it doesn't become an attack on art. It mm-hmm. just becomes uh, a controlled discussion of mm-hmm. how people in the room are reacting to your material. And then at night, we will uh, we'll run our rogue workshops, which start at 9 o'clock, mm-hmm. and they will go all night long as long as people have material they want to read. So at a fundamental level with our conference, what you're going to get is you're going to get an environment with people who are like you, and you're going to get a safe, controlled opportunity to start getting a reaction from people who can tell you why they're reacting to your material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I think the other great thing is is when you have critique from other writers as opposed to um, just people in your life. I mean, all writers are also avid readers, so they have a, a, a broad um, uh, sort of a uh, you know a literary experience to draw from. That, that you can constantly compare and contrast what you know they can uh, compare what what you've written to a hundred other things they've read, and Get, get an idea of how it works in comparison to other published books rather than people who might not be big readers and they think, well, this is good or maybe not so good. I don't know. But, you know, having people that are, that are um, more knowledgeable in their, in their critique based instead of just basing it on pure emotional response. Absolutely. Because good writing is good writing. It's at its core, it's good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what they're there to do is to let you know whether you're communicating a a story that's compelling, uh, not whether your writing is, um, uh, you know, whether it's about grammar or uh, uh, or some more fundamental kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I mean, right? Yeah, and the I mean, the writers' conference sounds like a great 
experience, and I I'm, I'm, would probably recommend that to you know anybody that could could afford to go to definitely go and, and experience that. So um, we're almost out of time, but I'd like to do uh, something we do at the end of each interview called Rapid Fire, and it's a series of uh, either-or questions, um, and you just choose one or the other. So I would just say, you know, day or night, and you just pick which whichever one you prefer. Um, right. Dragnet or CSI? Dragnet. Summer in Minnesota or winter in San Diego? Uh, summer, summer in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, Ludafisk or fish tacos? A fish tacos. <laughs> I figured. Ludafisk is not. It's, it's gelatinous fish snot. Yeah, I I would question anyone actually that that chose that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Coke or Pepsi? Pardon me. Coke or Pepsi? Coke or Pepsi? A mm-hmm. Coke. And Kojak or Jack Bauer? Oh, gee, uh, Kojak. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Wes. It was really, um, you know, really interesting hearing all about the, the Writers' Conference angle and all of that. I think that'd be really helpful for people. It's been great talking to you, and uh, anytime. You know, it's been fun. Great, great. So, uh, Wes's debut novel, Black and White, is available now, and you can visit him online at authorwesalbers.com. And if you have any questions on the craft or business of writing, send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. And there's no and in the middle, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for listening.